HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi iwami ni sakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. Our guest today is Elizabeth Ando, who already joined us 11 times and shared her truly deep insight into traditional Japanese food culture. Elizabeth is a food writer and a Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo, and she has lived in Japan for over 50 years. She runs a culinary art program called A Taste of Culture, which offers a great opportunity for non-Japanese people to explore Japanese culture through its food. And Elizabeth is also the author of six cookbooks, including the award-winning Washoku, Recipes for the Japanese Kitchen, and Kibo, Recipes and Stories from Japan's Tohoku, and Kansha, Celebrating Japan's Vegan and Vegetarian Traditions. And today's topic is Yakumi. You may have never heard of this word, but yakumi plays a very important role in Japanese food. Yakumi means herbs and spices, but the idea goes far beyond your palate. They only offer delicious, not only offer delicious flavors and tastes, but also plenty of health benefits. And there are various types of yakumi from uniquely Japanese plants like wasabi, sancho, Japanese myoga ginger, and mitsuba leaves to more commonly available ginger, garlic, and radishes. And yakumi is very easy to use in your own kitchen. So today we'll discuss why yakumi is, uh, what yakumi is, the diverse flavors of yakumi, the health benefits of yakumi, and easy recipes for yakumi-rich dishes, and good substitute for Japanese yakumi if you live outside of Japan, and much, much more. But before you start, Japan is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. 
So if you haven't, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japanese. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's uh, start a conversation with Elizabeth Andal. Hello, Elizabeth. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. So glad to be back again. So, yeah, so you are based in Japan, and which seems finally done with uh, COVID. Oh, <laughs> I certainly hope so. It's, it's certainly reopened, and the difference is significant within the last month or two. Mm, right. I keep hearing a lot of my friends going to Japan, so it must be very busy um, at the restaurants and all those great things happening. It's, it's certainly getting busier and certainly seeing more people uh, around. Uh, it had been really very isolating before. Mm, right. So it's springtime, so that's yes. great. So uh, so first, I, usually I just ask background of uh, guests, but... You've been here for 11 times already. So uh, <laughs> so listeners who want to know Elizabeth's fascinating life story about moving to Japan and how she met her cool and lovely Japanese husband, how she started her culinary career and many other very intriguing experiences, please <laughs> listen to episode 18. It's really interesting. And also her 10 previous episodes on Japanese are truly fun and highly informative. So you are interested Thank in you. learning from her tremendously, tremendously valuable and practical knowledge of Japanese food, <laughs> please go to heritageradionetwork.org or a podcast, uh, whichever you listen to, and search Elizabeth Sandor. It's A-N-D-O-H, Sandor. So, yeah, so now let's dive into today's topic because um, there's so much to talk about. So, right. it really is. Yeah, right. So it's a deep, uh, I can't believe we've never discussed it before, but so what is yakumi? Yeah. So what's the definition of yakumi? So it's interesting. I did not grow up um, reading, writing Japanese, but when I learned it as a young adult, um, Many people think of having to learn calligraphy, the, the kanji, as uh, uh, very challenging. I, I mean, it was, but it's also very intriguing and very informing. And I still look to the meanings of the characters to help inform me about what something is. And yakumi is really very straightforward. There's two calligraphy. The first one is yaku, which means medicine. And the second one is mi, which means flavor. Um, so it suggests that yakumi has curative and preventative powers. That's the medicine part. And that it also enhances the experience of eating. And that's the flavor part. Um, it's interesting when I look at various different Japanese English dictionaries, the most common translation in English is the word condiment. So I did a reverse search for condiment in English language dictionaries, and I often depend upon Webster uh, as a defining, uh, and also the Oxford, but both of them say it's something used to enhance the flavor of food, usually a pungent seasoning. Mm. Um, so that's the most common definition of it. Right, but, but uh, it's missing something very important, the whole point of yakumi. Yes. So, so um, and also, well, let's talk about it. So there's a fine line between yakumi and seasoning. So maybe you can right. explain the differences. Well, that too is, is sort of really interesting because um, – when I would refer to, and I did a search online and in my own library, uh, seasonings seemed to be something that was added either before or during cooking. 
and, and the word for seasoning in Japanese is chomidyo, so it is different than yakumi. And whenever chomidyo was used, it was either before you were cooking, you were getting ready your chomidyo, your seasonings, or during cooking, you were adding them at various different stages. And things that were listed as yakumi were always afterwards. They were something that a dip sauce, um, the condiments that you would be adding to a dip sauce afterwards, they were something that would happen usually at table just before you started to eat. And in looking further into the culinary history part of that, it was really interesting to see that there Originally in Japan, chomido and yakumi were really the same thing, even though they were called by different names, um, because uh, seasonings that were added at table as early as the 8th century, the Han period, um, included vinegar, salt, and hishio. Hishio is um, the liquid that rises to the top when miso is being made. And that's actually um, the older version of, of shoyu, or soy sauce. Um, soy sauce is fairly recent in Japanese um, uh, history. But what preceded that was this very um, salty, uh, very umami-rich flavored liquid that would rise to the top of miso. And there's... Um, so when you think about culinary history, once you eat something, it's gone. Um, so very often the information that you have is provided by documents or by pictures. And one of the um, pictures that I often use when I'm doing a slide presentation uh, comes from a table, a court banquet um, in the uh, 11th century. and. In that picture, unfortunately, we can't show it on a podcast, um, there are lots of finished dishes. There's a huge bowl of rice. Um, and next to the bowl of rice are four little cups. And the four cups contain sake, vinegar, salt, and hishio. And it's really quite amazing to imagine that people would bring food to table. And this was, you know, feeding the nobility, the, the the highest uh, of the high, um, and that it would not be fully seasoned already, that the final seasoning was going to happen by the person who is going to put it in their mouth literally just before they would eat. Um, and that was referred to as yakumi. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like at a very fancy restaurant, that's everything is done table side on the table and Sarva comes in and puts stuff on top of your food. So. It, it, to me, that means two things. And particularly in contrast to medieval Europe, which is the same time frame but different part of the world. Um, and that is the kitchen hygiene must have been impeccable even then because very often uh, herbs and spices were used to mask rot, <laughs> a mm. food that was spoiled or spoiling or could easily spoil. And um, you would therefore add those seasonings as soon as possible to deter further spoilage. And it certainly would not come, uh, raw foods were not coming to the table 
Um, and at that time, in other parts of the world, or at least it's not been so recorded. Um, and yet in Japan, um, food was fully cooked. Food was brought to the table, but also food that had not been subjected to heat was brought to the table and finished off by the person who was going to eat it. And um, so the hygiene was extraordinary. And also the skill of the chef, the person preparing the food. Mm, right. Well, that we are talking about really the highest um, kind of uh, imperial level of people we're talking about. But yes. it's amazing still the awareness of how um, hygienically impeccable yes. the things had to be. So, so, and also you, you know, the point mm. that um, yakumi is after being cooked, that's what's called, right. like, for example, um, you know, bonito flake, uh, we can right. often put it on top of chilled tofu for right. flavoring. And, um, but if it's cooked to make the dashi, um, right. it's not the yakumi, it's just the ingredient to make dashi. So it's interesting. Right. So before cooking, after cooking, after cooking, that's yakumi. And before cooking, it's not called yakumi. So that's a very important distinction. Yeah. Right. Yes, okay. And uh, mm -hmm. so, and the yakumi is based on the idea of ishoku dogen, which means food mm -hmm. and medicine come from the same source, so source, same root or same source, they say. Right. So could you elaborate on the idea of ishoku dogen? Um, again, I'll go back to the study of calligraphy, um, and it's really very, it tells the whole story. That first calligraphy means physician or the person um, practicing medicine. Um, the second means food, and the last two are the calligraphy for same and source. So literally, um, the source for both nourishment and medicine are the same. Food is medicine, medicine is food. Um, and it's interesting, the, the notion probably originated thousands of years ago in India and traveled through China and Korea before entering Japan. And it probably entered Japan in the sixth century along with Buddhism. Um, it sort of traveled that, that path. Um, in China, the concept was written slightly differently. Um, but the word Ishoku Dogen was actually coined in Japan as recently as 1973. Um, and it was returned, if you will, to, to China around 2000. So now in China, my understanding is that they also use the same Ishoku Dogen that the Japanese coined um, as a very uh, succinct, I mean, it's just for calligraphy and it tells the whole story. Um, so it's an easy way of conveying the meaning. Um, and that style of cookery um, that's based on that notion is something called yakuzen ryori. Ryori is any kind of cookery. Um, and yakuzen ryori is another word that was coined in Japan uh, very recently in the 1980s. Um, and it's a way of organizing food choices that emphasizes the importance of uh, the value of the nourishment, the, the medicinal or the curative, restorative power um, of food beyond just um, calories to sustain mm. you. That's yeah. interesting because um, like 
you know, the whole who's mm. uh, says organic versus conventional. Now, what's conventional, right? I think it's the meaning of swapped. Organic has right. to be the uh, what's called conventional because Ishaku Dogen um, right. is exactly what it was supposed to be. And now we have we're eating so many uh, processed uh, items. And then right. here you go, we have all those uh, chronic diseases we suffer from diabetes to uh, heart disease and so yeah. Ishoku Dogen is actually what it's supposed to be, like Japanese gomi goshoku goho, five colors, right. five days, five, five cooking methods. If you follow them, you are naturally a healthy eater. And Ishoku right. Dogen is overlapping the same idea. So um, Yakumi actually um, is rooted in this idea of Ishoku Dogen. And Ishoku Dogen right. really should remember everybody should go back <laughs> instead of going right. to the supermarket and, uh, you know, like a very monocolored processed food versus, right. you know, everything has to be based on the natural, what the nature provides. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, human uh, ingenuity, clever people have taken nature and um, made the best of it and that's fine. I mean, you can manipulate nature to extract the best that it has to offer. Um, but to start um, messing with it uh, too much, and you're going to lose the value that was intrinsic uh, to begin with. Uh, but I also think that um, being aware of Yakumi and the potential for uh, healthful benefit when you're think when you're hungry, you're about to make some food or you're about to go out and, and buy some or, or get some somewhere. Um, it should inform your choices. Uh, as long as you're going to be hungry and you're going to be eating something, you might just as well eat the best possible food, the food that's going to not only taste the best, but also is going to be the best for you and preferably best for the planet too. I mean, that's become a big issue very recently. Mm. Uh, yeah. Right. So follow the nature and your body is happy and everything. You, you don't have to overthink. That's the idea of Ishaku Dogen. Yeah. Right. right. So, so what exactly is the medicine part of Yakumi? So what functions can Yakumi play for our health? Well, um, the ones that are usually listed uh, in general are antibacterial, meaning it it's going to retard spoilage. And that can be something as simple as salt. Um, and salt is used, uh, it's often referred to as a preservative, but it really retards spoilage. Um, and it does have antibacterial properties. Um, another set of qualities that are considered um, part of Yakumi is it's restorative, its ability to restore balance within your body, uh, particularly if you're um, tired from overwork, um, if the weather is very extreme, either very cold or very hot. Um, it's a time when your body gets out of balance and it needs to be brought back into balance and Yakami can help you do that. Um, another benefit that's often listed is improving circulation. And probably that's the method by which some of the restoration takes place is if your circulation is improved, um, it's more likely that your body can heal itself. Um, the other is it boosting your immune system. And there are many um, 
elements within yakami that can help uh, boost your immune system. Uh, stimulating the appetite, that would be particularly important, again, in extreme weather. Um, clearly, if you're, if you're um, uh, trying to limit your intake of food, it's, it's not something that you want to have stimulating, so you should all the more reason to be aware of those things that do and don't. Um, and very importantly, it aids in digestion because you can consume a lot of food, but unless your body is able to digest it and process it properly, it's not going to be able to extract the benefit from it. So potentially, um, yakami is uh, extremely beneficial in a lot of different ways. Mm, right. So... Um... Okay, so we're going to take a quick break here. And after the break, uh, we'll dive into all those um, actual benefits of different um, examples of yakumi. Okay. So please stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008, and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese on HRN, Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kikatema, and my guest today is Elizabeth Sandow, a food writer and cookbook author and Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo. So, so let's dive into uh, each uh, yakumi item. So there's okay. a whole variety of yakumi from vegetable, Lots. fruit, and fish animal based to enrich various aspects of our experience of deliciousness and our health like we briefly mentioned earlier. So let's talk about popular yakumi. Um, maybe you can tell okay. us the flavor profile, how it's commonly used and its health benefit. Okay. Um, I think the ones that most listeners will be familiar with include ginger, um, negi, and by negi I mean a whole range of uh, alliums, scallions, leeks, chives, also garlic, um, and uh, daikon radish and wasabi. Um, so all of those um, are, are helpful in digestion. Uh, wasabi is probably the one that has the most significant antibacterial properties. Um, and daikon is a powerhouse of vitamin C. Uh, that helps to counteract the effects of um, carcinogens, uh, things that could possibly, uh, so it would inhibit the development of cancer. Mm. Yo, can you uh, maybe sum up 
our listeners are not exactly aware what daikon is. Oh, it's a radish. Um, it's usually white and fairly fat, depending upon the variety and the time of year. Um, most root vegetables are at their best in the cold weather uh seasons. Um, but daikon is grown and available year-round. There are summer varieties of, of daikon as well. Some are better uh, suited to pickling methods, and people may be more familiar with a daikon radish as uh, a yellow pickle called takuan. Um, other people may be more familiar with uh, daikon oroshi, grated daikon, a mound of white, uh, uh, sort of fluffy uh, but moist uh, particles that often accompanies either grilled food or fried food um, uh, at the Japanese table. And daikon can also be shredded and used in salads. So it can be eaten raw. It can be cooked in many different ways. It's probably one of the most versatile uh, vegetables mm. in the Japanese um, kitchen. Yeah. So the daikon basically it's it's much bigger, and uh, you don't. People say it's a radish. This translated as radish, but it's not like a, you know, a run radish. It's long huh. and a big. And in right. Japanese people, when uh, the <laughs> young girls have yes. fat legs, they call it daikon ashi, daikon legs. Yes. Because, um, so. Unfortunately, <laughs> when I first arrived in Japan in the 1960s, um, white tights were quite popular and my legs are not slender. And I learned the word daikon ashi very early. Um, <laughs> people, people would refer to my legs as looking like daikon. Um <laughs> But yes, but also don't forget that daikon have leaves that are very nutritious and they're also eaten. Um, and uh, very often they become part of um, yakimi as well. But I would say the thing I would caution people if they were not aware of it before, um, that the vitamin C in daikon is very volatile when it gets exposed to the air. Um, it really uh, dissipates. And the value of, of uh, daikon and the vitamin C that it has is best if it's prepared just before you're going to be eating it. So if you're going to be grading it, it should be done within probably five to 10 minutes of the time you're going to eat it to have the full value of it. And if you're going to be shredding it and putting it in salads too, um, actually tossing it in a, an oil and vinegar uh, dressing will prevent uh, contact with the air so it'll help keep the, the vitamins um, that are in it. Um, but uh, vitamin C is... Um, really an important element of, of daikon eating, I think. And uh, if you want to get the most out of it, um, then very definitely it should be done just before you're going to be eating it. Mm, right. And a daikon, um, more than it looks, is so juicy. And then, yes. like you said, when it time passes more, more than 10 minutes, it loses right. that pleasant spiciness and uh, yes. some sweetness come back and forth. So right. the key is just great right before because it's such addictive yes. spices. And if, if you're wanting to um, sort of drain off the excess liquid, but don't throw it away, that's very rich in, in vitamins, um, but it's quite hard to drink on its own. Uh, if you add a little bit of honey or some other sweetener to it and maybe some lemon, um, it's great for when you think you're coming down with a cold. 
um, but mm. it's a little it's a little harsh to drink on its own. Uh, right. That's for sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay. Another um, uh, yakumi that I'm particularly uh, enamored with is something called myoga. And myoga is a rhizome, uh, and it resembles ginger, um, but it's slightly different. So rhizomes uh, are things that are not propagated by seeds, but rather they, um, by the, the bulbs, the, the rhizomes themselves. So in order to, uh, you can't easily grow it on your own. You have to find somebody who has a thriving myoga um, plant and get them to give you some of it and then you can try to tend it and make it propagate on its own um, but it's pale pink it can be consumed raw usually minced or shredded it's also often briefly blanched it can be put in the, the bottom of a soup bowl and you pour hot soup on top of it and it's delicious um, it's also often pickled in a sweet and sour sauce, in which case the light pale pink becomes a vivid sort of heliotrope pink. Um, that's the shikiso, the pigment that's um, in ginger and similar uh, rhizomes that will turn pink when it comes in touch with acid. Um, so myoga, um, it's it's available in the supermarket. And it's not like you eat every day like ginger, no. but... Um, it's just a stunningly beautiful and also um, it's, it's good, nutritious. And also right. I think um, there's like a kind of oil, you really digest, uh, help digestion and right. um, increase your blood circulation and immune system. And also I heard it uh, make yeah. you aware, like a week yeah. as well. So uh, especially like in the summertime, uh, if you feel a little weaker, like too much heat, I think Miona is a good one, and it's available at the Japanese supermarket. Um, yeah, um, it, it is unfortunately expensive. When I go to New York, I'm always shocked at the price of myoga, but then you would be shocked at the price of parsley and celery in Japan. I mean, <laughs> things that are, are, are ordinary, um, you know, there and not at all costly are um, special treats here. Um, and dill is very hard to come by here in Japan. I mm. don't know why. Um, but um, yoga, I would urge you to um, splurge. And especially in the summertime, you're right, it's it's wonderful. Um, added to noodles and other things. But um, there's a, a mixture that I often make uh, of uh, when I can find tender young ginger uh, rather than grated I will actually chop it up or make it in slivers and uh, myoga that's shredded and uh, shiso uh, that's shredded and I mix them together sometimes with um, scallions uh, and sort of have that combination ready in the refrigerator to put on top of salads um, to eat with noodles um, but it's really refreshing, delicious, and um, it sort of makes a meal more special, I think, um, than mm. other seasonings would do. Right. Well, we've been talking uh, heavily on um, 
the health benefits of uh, yakumi, right. but it's there's a huge, huge. You can you can really impress your guests if you cook, and there's something right. very. Uh, it's like a switch on of flavor um, profile. Right. So yeah, so um, but you mentioned the shiso, right? Do you want to talk about right. shiso? Um, well, there's two varieties, green and red. And um, it's vaguely related to basil and vaguely related to mint, botanically related. Um, and although it has its own very sort of distinct uh, flavor and aroma, I think. Um, the green shiso, like many green leaves, is um, packed with vitamin A. So that boosts immunity and assists cell growth and all sorts of wonderful restorative things. The red shiso, similar to many uh, foods that are colored red, are very rich in polyphenols that are antioxidants and anti-inflammatories. Um, so even though they're the same uh, plant, if you will, well, red and green grow different. They, they do not grow on the same plant. They grow similarly next to each other. Um, they have a sort of different uh, yakumi profile in terms of their other benefits. Um, red shiso is also antibacterial, and um, the red shiso leaves that are used when plums are pickled, umeboshi, are dried and can be pulverized, and it becomes something called yukari, which is uh, often used as both a seasoning and a yakumi, but it's particularly used in the summer on rice dishes uh, to help retard spoilage. And uh, umeboshi, the plums, are probably, uh, their potency at being able to retard spoilage is partly because of the akajiso. So the, the plums that have been um, pickled with akajiso have a stronger um, ability to retard spoilage um, than regular pickled plums. So um, if you're sort of choosing your yakumi by um, the other benefits that you might uh, get from eating them, um, red and green should really be thought of separately. Both are, are wonderful together. Um, and they also taste um, slightly different mm. uh, one from the other. Right. Yeah. So if you uh, go to a Japanese restaurant or purchase some takeout sushi, you right. can find often uh, shredded daikon and shiso, right. and on top of it, there's a sashimi. And um, my favorite part, because people yes. normally don't touch it, I wrap uh, shredded ah. daikon with shiso. And I dip knew in we had a lot in common. I knew we had a lot in common, because that's always what I do. I grab it from everybody else's plate. Um, <laughs> Because they're going to leave it behind. It's like people who leave parsley behind. I also eat the parsley. Um, but it's particularly wonderful. Shredded daikon wrapped up in a shiso leaf. Delicious. Oh, my God. And it becomes so healthy, like a papaya. Yeah. So, yeah, don't waste it. And also, and, and the yukari, uh, I see, um, I think even, you know, non-Japanese uh, locations, right. whatever listeners are, there's a yukari and in Japanese um you know, grocery stores, and right. it's just a packaged and mixed with salt. And I put it anything or on over the rice with a salad, or even right. with some uh, uh, boiled eggs. It, the color gets so beautiful. So it does. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a, such a fun, um, unknown um, 
vegetable or yakumi, that's a shisao. So. Right. Yeah. Um, the other uh, thing that I want to mention is sesame, which is uh, also considered a yakumi. And um, it's really rich in calcium. People don't realize quite how... Um, what a good source of calcium it can be. And in many of the uh, temple vegetarian meals, uh, goma dofu, uh, which is not really tofu at all, but it's ground sesame mixed with um, uh, arrowroot. Uh, and uh, it's one source of, of calcium for people who do not eat dairy. Um, so it's also something that, and it's a wonderful toasty flavor that can be added, uh, some crunch if you're looking for a different texture to be added to things. So adding mm, sesame to things afterwards is also a wonderful yakumi. Mm, right. By the way, gomadofu uh, tastes like right. a dessert. It's so good, so yes. rich, so dense and sweet. And yes. yes. So, and I think that we should mention also, I'm too, uh, you know, for the time, we have like right. thousands of items, but uh, Sancho, right. what about Sancho? Uh, Sancho, it's interesting. It's the um, the part, that, well, there are two parts. Sancho is a plant that has male and female. Uh, there are many um, male and female plants out there, and they don't usually uh, grow well unless they're in proximity of each other, so they need each other uh, to be able to grow properly. But the uh, the berry uh, is eaten, the flower is eaten, and the leaf is eaten from the Sancho. It's really a bush. It doesn't really grow into a very large tree. But also very interestingly, the uh, Sancho plant, the wooden part of it is used to make... Um, Surikogi, the pestles that are used when you're grinding foods in a suribachi. Um, and probably the reason why it was chosen was because it has antibacterial um, properties to it. When you use the wood to grind foods in a, in a suribachi, you don't necessarily get a spicy flavor. So the spiciness part of it, uh, the peppery part of it, comes from the leaves primarily and the berries. And the berries are often dried and then pulverized, and that's sold as powdered sancho. And uh, a very short season, um, usually, uh, actually, I haven't seen them yet fresh uh, here, and we're already in the middle of March. Um, probably not until April or May are you going to see fresh uh, uh, sancho leaves available regularly. Um, in Japan, but they're wonderful. They can be used as a garnish on something. They can be crushed um, uh, and made into a sauce, uh, but wonderful. Mm. Right, and uh, sancho uh, is often used on uh, eel, unagi don. Yes. <laughs> it's right. a classic Japanese, you know, the uh, unagi eel uh, right. on top of the, the rice. Well, like, so... And it also helps to cut through oily foods, so that one of the reasons why it's often um, a yakumi with food that has a high oil content, fat content, is because it helps your body to digest oil. Mm, right, that's an important point. And also the mm. flavor is so unique, and um, that kind mm. of pungent sensation is addictive. So it's, it's well, fun it's, to have. 
Yeah, it's tongue tingling. So it's spicy, but it's not like the back of your throat spice. It's more the tip of your tongue um, that becomes slightly numb almost if you eat too much of it. Um, but it is, it's wonderful and has mm, somewhat of a citrusy flavor, I think, to it as well. Mm, right, that is true. And uh, I, I want to just finish with the um, yeah. umeboshi, which is very important in Japanese food. Yeah. So what about the umeboshi? Um, make it every year. <laughs> and <laughs> wow. I think and and I think that uh San Nemon three years is just the, the the most delicious time to eat them. Yeah, I mean people may not know what umeboshi is. Many of our listeners say, what is that? So So uh it's a plum is the way it's usually described. It's technically an apricot, um, or it's again botanically related to apricots. And um, they get heavily salted uh, and weighted down. And the process of the salt and the pressure uh, produces a brine, if you will. But that brine um, is a vinegar. It's a very, it's a very um, strong vinegar uh, flavor. And um, indeed, that liquid was used as a, a yakumi or as a seasoning um, in ancient uh, Japan uh, very often to, to flavor uh, things. But the umeboshi, the, the plum itself, is eaten as is. I happen to adore them. Um, it sometimes the meat is pulled off of the pit and is uh, blended or ground or crushed with other um, foods as well. And it's very often at the center of uh, omusubi or onigiri, you know, the rice balls, the rice triangles. Um, it's uh, an integral part of, of Japanese um, food. And I must admit that uh, was one of the first things that I decided I loved about Japanese food. Mm. Right. And also, I mean, because of the saltiness and the vinegar, it can prevent rotting and also um, it really yes. enhances your digestion. And I heard even like your liver function gets better if you eat it regularly. Um, mm, and also, I think, yeah. And also the, you know, if you have a square bento box in the middle, uh, there's omeboshi. Yes. That's like a Japanese flag. So <laughs> yes. it's really often used in Japanese bento box too. So... Yes. Um, okay, so what are your favorite Japanese recipes uh, that you make with yakumi? Um, probably the most common or the ones that I make the most are noodle dishes. Um, udon, somen, soba, both hot and cold. Um, they're just, I, I, in, in our household, uh, we often will have a toast or bread for breakfast, noodles for lunch, and then rice for dinner. But noodles for for noodles pretty much every day, um, and uh, I can't imagine eating noodles without yakumi, uh, a variety of different ones. Sometimes it's it's just something from the onion family. Sometimes it's just ginger. Sometimes it's a combination of the two. Other things added to it as well. Hot weather, cold weather. Um, in the hot in in the cold weather, um, nabe mono. Uh, Nabe mono are um, more enjoyable, I think, if you have a, a 
a crowd, a group of people to share it. And um, most evenings, um, it's just my husband and myself. So uh, we don't make nabe mono that often. We do when we have other people over. Um, but for nabe mono, certainly uh, a variety of, I will often have um, a tray with six or seven different yakumi um, out. And whether the nabe mono is uh, chicken, pork, uh, fish, uh, or tofu, um, I'll often have uh, shichimi togarashi, which is a seven-spice blend. I'll have grated ginger, grated radish, uh, probably chopped scallions. Uh, also some citrus, um, lemons, limes. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, and Yuzu. Sesame. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. Um, yeah, so, um, for example, uh, you can use outside uh, the, you know, Udon, rice, all those uh, anti-carb right. dishes. People want to avoid carbs. And nowadays, there's so many um, tendency people don't want carbs. Um, but you can still use a tofu topped with um, some right. bonito to scallions and miso soup. You have um, called the Japanese negi scallions. That's a slightly different um, types right. of scallions. And really um, makes the dish very bright and um, flavorful. And certainly soups of all kinds, whether they're Japanese or otherwise. Um, I, I think somehow liquid helps to um, enhance the flavor of many uh, of the yakumi. You know, but having it in something moist rather than dry um, will make it even more flavorful. Mm, right. So, mm. um, so what are your favorite non-Japanese recipes that you can make with yakumi? Do you have any? Um, yes, I, I will often do a, a mixture, as I said, and put it on top of sliced tomatoes or cucumbers, lettuce. Um, uh, sometimes I'll add sesame on top for uh, a, a crunch. Um, and uh, I will often here. It's it's a treat. I will treat myself to things like parsley and, and, and celery. Um, but um, certainly uh, any kind of fresh herb that's available wherever you are, uh, cilantro, mint, they all also have tons of vitamin A, K, C. Uh, they're good sources of minerals. Um, so I would urge um, anyone to find whatever fresh herbs they've got available to them. Uh, and add them to whatever um, uh, salads uh, and soups that they're that they're making. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. So I actually found a list of um, you know people who cannot find Japanese unique um, traditional yakumi vegetables. Um, right. that there are you know it doesn't mean that it has to be Japanese. So I I found no. a list. So the leek, uh, onion, um, ginger, of course, right. and garlic. Horseradish, uh, watercress, parsley, celery, coriander, oh, yeah. mint, uh, kepper, capers, and basil, fennel, uh, arugula, Ooh. Ooh, and lemongrass. Yeah. Right. And yeah, fennel, I think, is a really um, non. I wish I could find it here. <laughs> Again, that's something that I would splurge on if I could find it here, um, right. but it's not regularly available. Yeah. Mm. Oh, fennel would be terrific with all sorts of things. Um, Right. And also, um, you know, regular uh, black pepper, white pepper, and mustard, yes. cumin, paprika, cardamom, 
and oh. Stanis and Ease, yes. like turmeric, cinnamon, and bay leaf, <laughs> everything. It's you can really have the idea right. of yakumi. And well, it's. I, I think you know, yakumi is not unique to Japan or Japanese food culture. I think every food culture has its own set of uh, yakumi uh, that they that they use, and there are often interesting um, combinations that you can borrow or adapt into different cuisines. I don't think it has to be a hundred percent you know, Japanese yakumi on Japanese food at all. I think the notion of incorporating them more frequently, more often, finding places to be able to uh, perk up ordinary dishes uh, with yakumi is sort of the, the point of it. Um, I will, I am able to get uh, clove and cinnamon here, and um, they're very commonly used in European cookery, Middle Eastern cookery um, as well. And um, they've got many of the same um, uh, benefits uh, that uh, other, you know, Japanese or Asian um, yakumi would have. And uh, I find that they often are um, perfect in uh, Japanese sweets. Um, and I'll even use them sometimes on yakimo, on, on uh, satsumaimo, the Japanese sweet potatoes. Um, to, to perk them up, I use them when I'm cooking kabucha often, uh, just for a change to make a different um, flavor. Uh, and one of the uh, things that I like to do with tofu is also make shida'ai, uh, so mash it and make it into a, a sauce. And um, the Japanese will often serve shida'ai with fruit uh, and the combination of uh, fruit and, and um uh, tofu is, is quite wonderful. And when I'm doing that, I'll often add things like a cinnamon and clove uh, to it to give it another, also shiro miso to give it another flavor. Right. What kind of fruits do you mix with tofu? Um, in the fall, uh, persimmons. As a matter of fact, I hollow out whole persimmons and I fill it with shidai. And then you eat the persimmon with the shidai and it's wonderful. And um, especially if you add some bitter greens to it. Um, here, uh, you can get loquats very easily um, during the rainy season. Uh, so June, uh, primarily the end of May through the beginning of July. Um, but apricots also. Um, it's also wonderful with different kinds of berries um, and melon. Mm. Yeah. Right. Amazing. So it's like unlimited idea. And Japanese people tend to be quite obsessed with seasonality in yes. cooking and everything, like the 24 seasons. And sometimes yes. sometimes they say so many two seasons a year. And um, yeah, I found a calendar. It really like weekly basis, you can find what's what's happening. Not happening last, last week, but this week. Kind well, of. I know it's interesting. I When I do get a chance to travel outside Japan. Now it'll be a more frequent thing, I hope. Um, and I'm gone maybe two weeks and I return to Japan, everything's different. So <laughs> two, uh, two to three week cycle and it's really significant difference at the market. And this is just local ordinary supermarkets. It's not necessarily specialized stores. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right, and it's not just vegetables. If you have a fish section, um, oh. The fish is very seasonal, too. Very, 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 very different. Yeah. Mm. 
Right. Um, yeah, I hope that, you know, people now start going back to or going to Japan more often. Um, and then visitors, I really hope that people can stay somewhere with the kitchen and uh, go to the Japanese supermarket and enjoy cooking mm. with the yakumi. And also, you know, uh, even the fish section is fun, like shiny sashimi quality right. at a very reasonable price. Even if you can't find it, some non-Japanese non, uh, um, Vegetables like a deal is maybe expensive, but there's so much to um, right. make up for it. So I think so. Right. Okay. So um, obviously, you have so much to share. Uh, we're going to have you again and again and again. Right. <laughs> you know, thank so, you. Thank you. Yeah. So, but now Japanese, um, you know, over the COVID, probably, probably 100% almost soon. So, what are your plans? Are you teaching in person more often? I, I am, and I see a significant difference in just these past two months, uh, the number of requests for, for programs. Um, and uh, for the first time in quite a while, I'll be, um, be publishing information about it later this month, but I'm going to be doing another uh, Skemono workshop uh, in June. So if anybody's coming to Japan on June 2nd and 3rd, that's a Friday and Saturday, um, there'll be information on my website about it uh, later this month. Um, I'm going to be doing that so six lucky people can come into that program. Mm. So skimono is a Japanese-style pickles, which is right. not like um, regular pickles that you can see in other countries. No, no right. they're, they're really different. And the way I do the weekend is get people to understand how change uh takes place in a cucumber or a daikon, depending upon the method that you use um, and the amount of time. Um, so we do a whole tasting program on, on the Friday evening and preparation for Saturday. And on Saturday, we actually make things. Um, we make a lot of very, what I call impatient pickles, quick things that can be eaten right away. But uh, also everybody will go home with jars of things that will mature on their shelf <laughs> later. Um, and, uh, because so many of them have different periods of time to, to develop, but anyway, I'm excited about being able to do another Skemono workshop, which I haven't been able to do for several years now, um, mm -hmm. and be able to do that and also more, more writing and, uh, hopefully more podcasts. Great. So. Yeah. So, well, good luck. And today happened to Thank be a uh, spring equinox. So. Everything sounds, uh, you're going to be very busy and uh, hopefully you can come back to New York sometime soon and we can do some fun conversation again. Yes, we'd love right. to do that. Thank you so much. Yeah, so where can we find your updates online and on social media? So tasteofculture.com is my website and I'm in the process of trying to refresh it in, in several things and hope to have that all done by the end of this month when I'll send out another newsletter. So people, please sign up for newsletters. I can't add people's names. Um, it has to be the subscriber that subscribes to it. Uh, I try to get them out every month um, and interesting topics, just things that 
strike me as interesting or that other people have suggested. And they relate to web pages where I have recipes and other things. There's also a huge archive now. I've been doing this for, the archive goes back three years, but I pulled things from previous years before that and added, I've been adding them little by little. Um, so there's literally hundreds of, of recipes and ideas on my website. And I urge everybody to go take a look. Mm, right. Well, I love your newsletter because it's unusually in-depth and uh, you, you really have to go uh, try to find something so deep, detailed, practical um, and delicious. So, okay. yeah, it's an amazing newsletter. So thank you. Um, okay. So good luck. And uh, thank you. thanks again for joining us today, Elizabeth. Thank you. Right, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at chapanids at heritagefeedernetwork.org or akikotema.com. Chapanids is a weekly program and it's always available at heritagefeedernetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Armin Spenjan, and thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.